I'm Mary Kozlowski, Barefoot Tour Guide's old lady, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast, even if it's playing in my living room, because then I would miss my few moments per day of not living in the Star Wars universe. The BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. Execute Order 66. Coming at you live on Ustream and by podcast at d20radio.com. This is the Order 66 podcast, brought to you by mapsofmastery.com. Ratings Gamer Nation, this is December the 11th, 2011. We are rapidly approaching that holiday known as Christmas. For those of you that celebrate such a thing, Happy Hanukkah, of course, to those others that do not and celebrate Happy something Kwanzaa. else. Ha- Merry, uh, what, uh, Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa. Merry Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa to all of you. Exactly. And we can't for- keep in mind, these are RPG players. We also have to wish them a happy solstice. Many of them. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, solstice. That's right. That's right, because for one year from this solstice, the world will end. So That dude. Yeah. I'm already stocking up food and water. I did too, man. I'm, I'm building my ark. I'm just getting guns. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. All right. Uh, so, um, oh, Festivus too. Happy Festivus. Um, I, yes, Happy Festivus. The uh, that that uh, that guy you heard is GM Chris over there, and I would be GM Dave, your host for today on this <laughs> merry band of banter and wit. Word. What is up, Gamer Nation? And for those of you who may be wondering uh, who these jerkwads are that are talking on these crazy mics, and you're tuning in for the first time, maybe you found us, maybe you just hit the wrong button on iTunes, and you have no idea what we're talking about. This is, of course, the Order 66 podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing, where we lay the smack down on Saga. Yeah. But in a good way. Yeah, that's what we meant. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Man, it's been a few weeks, dude. So it has been a little bit of time, and, uh, you know... Holidays are kicking my butt. Yeah. We're trying to get there. As best we can here in uh, La Casa GM Dave. And we have to have basically everything done before Thursday because my wife has a surgery. So she wanted everything Christmas done. So my back hurts and my legs hurt because I was up in the attic crawling around doing all kinds of crap. Putting up Christmas lights all day today, you know. I feel you, man. That was my that was my yesterday. Oh. Oh yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm a little sore. I, I just am. I uh, yeah, whatever. But your house is purdy. The house is purdy. That's right. We had some visitors come over from soccer related people, and they said, "Ooh, your house is purdy with those blue and white lights." Mm-hmm. Oh, you went for the blue and white. Blue and white. Yeah, we've had blue and white for a couple of years now, and 
I was going to say, man, 1998 call, they, they kind of want their look back, you know. Hey, hey, you, hey, you have no idea how blue is resurgent. I had no problem finding blue lights this year because they're everywhere. That should tell you something, Dave. <laughs> Nobody else is buying them. No. No, 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 no. Usually you got you got like very, very you got you got lots of white, lots of blue. This year there was nothing of anything else. There's just a lot the white and blue. Fair. That's all. I will say my street looks pretty good. My neighbors all did a good job, except for the guy directly across the street from me. It looks like a looks like a Christmas clown threw up on his porch. Oh great. It's like like multicolored twinklies everywhere. And it's almost like he didn't try. He just threw them everywhere. They're haphazard and it's like, dude, if you're going to do it, at least, I don't know, give it some effort. Is that too much to ask? Am I being, am I being overbearingly silly? No, no, I don't think so. Mm. Mm. Well, speaking of overbearingly silly. I think, I think so. Yeah, speaking of overbearingly silly, uh, perhaps we should get this show on the road. What do you say? Word. Yeah. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisitions. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. Ah, uh, yes, this is the segment in which we have questions, letters, things like that, all kinds of stuff, huh? and stuff. Well, actually, this is just announcements. Never mind, sorry. Yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. Because uh, I'm really excited about a question that's coming up later. I know you are, but focus, <laughs> Grasshopper. Focus. Sorry. Okay, so featured podcast this week, by the way. Well, it, it would be the, the Small But Vicious podcast, uh, which recently released episode 48, Burgled in Bogenhofen. <laughs> Bogenhofen? Old school of the Buddha. They revel in the, by the way, they revel in the recent 25th anniversary of the Warhammer Fantasy RP. Big woot. Woo! Yep. And then, of course, they wax about second edition Wifrip in the way that only they can. They delve into the Master Thief career, which is an awesome career, and they also take a close look at the Ilmet in Bogenhofen adventure from Sigmar's Heirs publisher. Fun episodes. Just just go listen already when we're done. Go Then go listen. So, yeah. But you can find it and more wonderful gaming podcasts and other geekery podcasts at www.d20radio.com. Yeah. Uh, this week... We're going to turn our turn our, our sights on um, the inestimable Sterling Hershey. That gives us a lot this week with a nice little blog entry to his Star Wars Wednesday. Mm. And for those of us dedicated Star Wars gamers who use technology, uh, that would be me and you and Chuck Hurstis, to get the latest and greatest up-to-the-minute Star Wars updates, you know, Twitter is uh, an amazing resource, by the way. It is that. an amazing resource, yes. Yeah. So Sterling talks about it, shares his own list over of over 30 Star Wars publishers, designers, authors, artists, keeps talking and talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, jumping from topic... Oh, never mind, sorry. 
Um, yeah, industry insiders and follows, you know, to get all, all, all the stuff that he follows to get all his news. So uh, you should, too, by the way. So choose some of those followers. Go check it out. Follow him on Twitter, SterlingHershey.com. Sorry for the uh, Captain Picard song in the middle. Th- th- that's okay. It was worth it. It's a good list. It's a very good list. Um, you know, if you guys want to get up to the minutes, especially in the RPG world or the development world, it's wicked. And in additional juicy bit of web goodness news, uh, for any super fanboy out there, if you are one of the few, the proud, the geeky, like me, who happen to own the Jedi Path, Dave, you've seen this, yes? Yes. This is that book that was released last is, year. It details the secrets yeah. of the Jedi Order with it's the new history, the illustrations, all that stuff. You're probably waiting with bated breath for its counterpart, the Book of Sith which releases February 10th, 2012. Much like the deluxe edition of the Jedi Path, which, Dave, you've seen, I have. It, it came with like a half a dozen little bonus items stuffed into the book, you know, like patches and maps and a coin and, and like a, a, a Padawan's lock of hair and, you know. Um, and this, but the best part was it came with this case. You, know, you, you remember the case? Yes, indeed. It was like this cool electronic case, you know, for the book to house in. The deluxe edition of the Book of Sith comes with also more goodies, um, including a red lightsaber crystal, and it is housed inside of a Sith holocron, a pyramidal Sith holocron that opens up with lights and sound, and the book comes sliding out. And if you want to see what it looks like in action, you should head over to www.starwars.com news to see the exclusive trailer for the upcoming book. And while you're at it, head over to Amazon.com to pre-order it now at a 38% discount, um, which is pretty darn good. 38. Don't say so. 38. Yeah, dude, it's like 100 bucks, but you can pre-order it for like 63. Huh. Well. Yeah. Totally. That's I, pretty. I've already got. I've already got mine on pre-order, baby. That's pretty fantastic. I am so excited with this. What I have this holocron on my desk, dude. That is awesome. Woof. Shibuta's right in the chat. It does make for an excellent late Christmas gift. Yeah, I would say. I would say. I like it. I like it a lot. <sighs> so, uh, what do we do next? I, I might as well go ahead and get to it. I've been looking forward to it for about an hour. So, Yeah. <laughs> Twenty docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Yup, docking bay. This is where we answer all the questions that we get from myriad sources, like email, like chatter on. Oh, I don't know. Raw MP3s, for example. Well, not that we have one, but we kind of do. Yeah, yeah, but we we don't, but we actually do. Uh, Skype, voicemail. Oh yes. Forum post, PM, oh, carrier oh, yes. pigeon. Many many ways. You know, yes. Low carrier frequency waves that have a tendency to make some nauseous. However. <laughs> 
Indeed. So, all right. So, for the first question, we have question number one. All right. Great question here from a new listener and an Aussie to boot. Thank God. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to try to say his name. I'm just going to say Azrahel. I think it's. I think that's it. Azrahel. Really? Azrahel or Az- Azrael? I don't know. I don't know. It's a cool name either. Way. It is a cool name. So uh, I'll just say, uh, "What's up, eh?" And we'll say, uh, "He says, uh, good day." Guys, good day, good day. Firstly, I would like to say that I'm a very a new listener, doing the Order 66 podcast marathon at the moment. Wow, is that like the USA NCIS marathon? Would be cool if it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Order 66 characters are welcome here, by the way. So far, I am currently up to episode 58 and loving every passion-filled installment of SWSE goodness. That would be Star Wars Saga Edition, by the way, for those of you scoring at home. Why, thank you very much, I might say. Thank you. The podcast has encouraged me to take my books out of storage and start planning a very belated Star Wars Saga Edition game for my longtime gaming group. Cheers. Cheers. Good on you, mate. Yeah. I have a question that perhaps you all can help me with, and it's in regard to the Sith races in the KOTOR campaign guide and the Sith Pure Blood in the EU and upcoming TOR MMO. Mm. Uh, I, by the way, the, the MMO for the uh, Old Republic launches officially next Tuesday. Early access starts this coming Tuesday, and we should find out tomorrow where the guild will land. But I digress. He continues by saying, I would like to start my game in the Old Republic era at around the time that the MMO is set, I understand, 300 years after Revan. About, yeah. And I would like to include Sith Purebloods as possible bosses of mooks and BBEGs. I have done some research myself, have some small understanding now on the Sith sub-races, both the Kasai and the Masasai, or Masasi, sorry, Races are provided in the KOTOR campaign guide and are the priest and warrior cast of the ancient Sith race. A Sith pureblood from the Old Republic, in my understanding, is a misnomer as they are a near-human race characterized by their physical appearance, red skin, sharp angular features, and face tendrils. It seems I have two choices for starting a Sith pureblood. Stat up my Sith purebloods as uh, the Kasai? 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 I've always said Kasai. Yeah, Kasai. Race from KOTOR, um, and uh, just call them Pure Bloods, or stat up my Sith Pure Bloods as near humans from the Unknown Regions source book. Any opinion on this is most welcome. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Awesome. Mate. Dude, totally. First off, I'm really glad you're enjoying the show, man. Um, dude, Dave, what? Tor is bringing Star Wars RPers back to Saga, man. Yeah, I'm telling you, dude. You know, we're, it's we're all picking over, up, uh, man. Forums have boosted. We've gotten more new forum members uh, here really in the past few weeks than we've had in the past, I think, month or two. Yeah, I know. Combined, um, I might add. I think we've had more this week than we had in the last month combined. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I, you know, Obviously, the, the Old Republic's getting close. you got a lot of super gaming geeks that are out there going, man, I remember that Star Wars game, and they're pulling it out of mothballs. They're doing their research. It's awesome. But because of this, the KOTOR era is obviously the, a highly popular one that people now want to play in. Um, so for those listeners who are not EU experts, know that know this. W- without a comprehensive history lesson, Wikipedia is, is there, folks. Use it. There was actually an original Sith race, species, on the planet Korriban. 
And as is detailed on page 15 of the KOTOR campaign guide, they became two subspecies known as the Kisai and the Masasi, uh, priest and warrior caste, respectively, as, as he notes, and with, with species abilities to match. But even by the time of the KOTOR area, I mean, these races are pretty much scattered um, and nearly extinct, although there's some out there. Sith purebloods are really the result of millennia of interbreeding between humans and the original Sith races. And, and these purebloods, these, these, these guys, made for some powerful Sith lords during this time. I mean, guys like Marco Ragnos and Nagasato, those, are, those would be classified as Sith purebloods. I mean, even in the Star Wars we all know and love, for those who just know the movies, if you get into the books, man, old Palps, man, Palpatine kept around several Sith purebloods as his agents and minions during the reign of the Empire thousands of years later. So to your question, how do you play one? Okay, now it's clear from the EU that a Sith pureblood is not a Masasi or a Kasai, but a hybrid of those races and others. As such, man, for me, I think your option two is the clear choice. Near humans are where it's at for Sith purebloods. I would recommend choosing near human traits that represent the lineage of the individual, such as a, a bonus to charisma and penalty to wisdom for those of Kasai lineage, bonus to strength, penalty to intelligence for the Masasi bloodlines, and of course... The cosmetic changes to near humans allow for the red skin, the face tendrils, the sharp teeth of the original Sith races. So, so have at it, man. I, I think that's the best option for you. Yep. I would agree. Awesome. Word. All right, next one up is another great name here. Zephramsi. It's either Zephramsi or Zephramsi. Zephramsi, Zephramsi, Zephramsi. We're going to call him Z-Man. Z oh, love it. Z-Man. Yo, Z-Man, what up? All right, so we have a splasserific question from him. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, you see where this is going. All right, he says, I was wondering where I could find the information on splash damage for starship weapons in starship scale. Does the splash radius translate to starship scale? Question mark. Say proton torpedoes would have a four-square splash. Is this true for only... Only for character scale, or would the four square splash apply to starship scale squares as well? I did some skimming. Could not come up with the information. Any thought on where I could find it? Probably. Probably so. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, guessing, I'm guessing as the authoritative authoritarians that we could find an answer. We could, but you know, before I even got a chance to, to go at it, man, the forum hacked at it, and uh, they they were they had answers very quickly. But I mean, and do, honestly, dude, frankly, it's buried in the Starship rules, uh, so don't feel too bad, Z-Man. Um, the answer to your question can be found on page one seventy three of the core rulebook in Special Vehicle Combat Rules. There is an area attack section that clarifies that due to the size of Starship squares and starships. All area attacks, and that includes auto fire, burst radius weapons, and flash weapons, get resolved against a single target in starship scale, unless the weapon description specifically says otherwise. The only reason auto fire is even useful in starship scale, because it obviously can't go across multiple squares, is that it deals half damage on a miss. You know, and for like a hotshot ace pilot, it might be near impossible for a TIE fighter to hit him with a standard attack. But that TIE pilot can probably easily hit a 10, even with the minus 5 auto fire penalty, yep. in order to deal half damage. Yep. And that's where auto fire really comes into play. Uh-huh. What's cool about splash weapons at starship scale, such as proton torpedoes, is that they deal half 
uh, damage on a miss. I mean, they they have that, that that half damage on a miss aspect, but they don't impose the minus five penalty since they're not auto fire. It's one of the reasons they're so nice and also so terribly expensive. Yep. Um, so even a, a low level pilot with some proton torpedoes can really jack up somebody because as long as he hits a ten, those things are doing half damage and they'll hit. So awesome. Vehicular combat, get it! <laughs> We're for it. Boom! I hope that helps, Z. Okay. All right. Last uh, question no, for second, this evening. Last, second, last one that comes in via text. Oh, oh, understood. The medium. Um, we're saving the best for last, of course. Word. Word to Yamada. That's right. We got an oldie, but a goodie. From a, a new forum member, Dwarven Sith, who awesome. writes this. Ran into an interesting cinematic problem in my newly formed campaign today. I have two Jedi in the party, and currently the group is stuck on a low-tech swamp jungle world in the unknown regions. They came under attack by a pair of starving Nexu. Ouch. Uh-huh. And the Jedi both used their block talents. After blocking the first claw attack that hit him, one of my players asked if he'd damaged the Nexu's claw. I found it hard to think why he would have. I mean, we've all seen what happens when a lightsaber meets organic material. Not having an immediate answer, I quickly house-ruled that he had damaged part of the claw and that he could that it could take one more hit before being put out of commission entirely. I then tracked the claw attacks and which ones were blocked. When the other Jedi blocked his Nexu claw attack by a margin that would have hit the Nexu's reflex defense, I ruled that he had hit the actual paw of the Nexu and could do damage accordingly. Too complicated. Yeah, kind of. I made sure my players knew this was a temporary situation until I studied the matter further. So my question is this. What happens when the block talent, when it's used against natural weapons, um, it blocks? Okay, I'm just saying. It doesn't make sense to say that a Jedi-wielding lightsaber could block or claw a, a claw or bite attack but do no damage to the block appendage. Thinking, yes, it does, but we'll get there. Thinking too much. But... What brings up the question of a lightsaber blocking a normal weapon like a vibroaxe? Wouldn't it damage said weapon? Uh-uh. Again, thinking too much. Kiss. It makes sense. A lightsaber can cut through most known materials. Perhaps I'm just overthinking this. Oh, wow. Ding, ding, ding. Probably am. Agree. Anyway, I'd appreciate everyone's insight, uh, insight opinions, or guidance in this matter. Okay. Close your book. Stop right now. <laughs> Overanalysis paralysis. Um, <clears throat> we said it before, we'll say it again. Uh, one of the beauteous things that we love about this system is that it has a, an unofficial axiom, which is KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. At any point, you have to start doing the complex math you were doing. You're doing something wrong. Uh, combat is supposed to be fast and cinematic in this game, and if it's not, there's something wrong. So let's, let, but you know, th- there is an actual official answer to your question, so we'll get to it. It's a common question, has a very official, very definitive answer. The developers have qu- clarified quite heavily, dude, that using the block talent will Dude. not damage the weapon being blocked, regardless of what it be, whether it be a vibroaxe or a claw or a fist. Who are you calling dude, pal? Dude. Who are you calling pal, guy? Who are you calling guy, friend? Who are you calling friend, buddy? Who are you calling buddy, Holmes? <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. It's okay. 
Ah, so them's the rules. That's the ruling. Um, uh, considering how powerful block and deflect are, I mean, they're arguably the two most powerful defensive abilities in the game. Adding insult to injury, or, well, I guess in this case, injury to insult, <laughs> uh, <laughs> would, would just be rather imbalanced, man. I mean, trust me, it, it, it is a powerful enough talent as it stands without having the lightsaber damage whatever you're blocking. Furthermore, your example tells us exactly why you don't want to run it that way. It becomes silly, compl- silly complex and too much bookkeeping. Yep. A headache, it ruins the fluid, fast, cinematic nature of the combat. That, that's that. But the real heart of your question isn't so much about the ruling, but how you can justify it. As you put it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it's a freaking lightsaber. Shouldn't it cut through the claw or the axe that it blocks? The simple answer and the one that your players should be given is that you shouldn't be so literal with the talent. Block means using the force to plan ahead, sense the future, and use your weapon to replace your normal defense. This could mean, despite the title of your talent, dodging out of the way, or also interposing your weapon between you and the attack. As, as Rodney Thompson put it, the attacker would see that and simply pull back their attack, pull the punch. I mean, if I can see that my Vibrowax is going to slice into the glowing plasma blade, I'm going to pull back and keep that from happening. A creature, likewise, would do the same. And you can describe it thusly, or describe the player using the force to dodge out of the way. Better yet, get your players to describe how it happens. That's just, you know... You know, oh, Lewin, Lewin had a good one. Stepping inside the blow. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, that, this is kind of how you got to do it, man. Um, the, the rules are that it doesn't damage them, and it's very important for balance reasons to maintain that. And if you describe it thusly, it makes good sense. So, there you go. There's my rant, my soapbox. That's what we say, and we're sticking to it, damn it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dave, I mean, we've, you know, we've had this conversation before. Have you? I mean, how how comfortable are you with that ruling? I mean, I know a lot of, a lot of a lot of old purists that I know hate that ruling, but I just think it would make the talents way too imbalanced. Yeah, 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 yeah. And play, yeah, it's just nah. I'm just I'm good with it. Uh, okay. It's not like we can go back and change the system now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's that. Thank you for the question. Yes, indeed. All right, here we have a question that came in direct as an MP3, although you can leave us a Skype message or whatnot. This one came in MP3-related, and we love it when they're kept to around a minute, as this one was. And here it is. Hey, Fizz. This is Lass, and I have a question for the Order 66 podcast. So my question regards the move action of run, the full round move action. And Emmett says you have to go in a straight line four times your speed, or it differs if you, of course, have armor. So my question to you is this. What is a straight line on a grid map? In other words, on a game map. For example, if you wish to go in a straight line at a five-degree angle, then on a game map, you're technically going to be having to make small little turns to adjust for the five-degree angle. So, my question, how do you guys reconcile this? Or do you just make it up, down, left, right? And that's it. Love to hear what you have to say. And as always, sex in advance. (laughs) Take care, guys. All right, show's over.
<laughs> Thank you, Lass. Uh, as always, a pleasure. Um, I'll be back in a little bit. Go ahead. <laughs> so, to her question. Um, <laughs> yeah, you've lost me functionally. <laughs> Danny in the chat. Wow. Night, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you've, you've lost me functionally for about an hour. <laughs> oh. Jesus, you got to thank the good Lord for making things like that. Oh. Silence! Oh. Silence! <laughs> wow! No! How dare you! Oh my you! God. Oh my God. Oh, drink! That is the ultimate drink scenery right there. Ter- it was, and it was my parents, no less. Oh, see, God, Dave, Dave, Dave. Wow. I will try to pull your shame out of the gutter with a particularly <laughs> useful answer to that. that you know, and that absolutely, yeah, you're, this chat room's right. It totally, totally screwed up our moment. Ah, sorry, lass. Yeah, maybe it was a good thing. It might have been. <laughs> yeah, I was headed down maybe, a path. Maybe your folks got the psychic message that you were aroused. <laughs> <laughs> hey. David, what are you doing? Put that thing away, son. <laughs> I taught you there was a time and place for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> last question. Yeah. It's straight a, line. It's a, it's a good question. Now, now to 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 rec- to to sort of pull back and kind. <laughs> I want to I want to move at a three and a half degree angle, but downward on the z axis by four degrees. So how do I do yeah, that? I know. I know. Don't get too complicated with it. First and foremost, this doesn't necessarily apply to running. Now, running is an action, uh, page 155 of the core rulebook. It's a full round action. As she said, you know, you basically can move up to four times your speed in a straight line or three times if you're wearing heavy armor. Um, <clears throat> but this also applies to charging very commonly, you know, because you have to charge in a straight line. So how do you do a straight line on a square gridded battle map? Um, first of all, uh, don't do up, down, left, right. N- no, no, that, that's, that's just silly. The square that your dude is and the square where he wants to be, draw a line, <laughs> a straight line across the battle map. Put down a piece of string or eyeball it if you can. That's where the straight line is, and there can't be any obstructions along that line. In other words, any of the squares that line passes through, no obstructions can be there or difficult terrain or any of that jazz that would prevent the running or the charging. When you're actually moving... Just mentally, you'll want to have to move your character, you know, you know, left, up, left, up, right, left, up, you know, whatever you got to do to follow the movement rules, um, you know, diagonals to whatever. But that's just for, for, for the distance measurement. When he's actually running, he's going to be running along that straight line that you've drawn, okay? Yep. So, or charging or whatever. And that's just, that's just how you got to think about it. But, you know, if, if some people have a real issue with the spatial perceptiveness which i've i've run, <laughs> run with some gms who really have i mean like uh you know brev keeps a laser you, you know the laser levels that like yeah. shine the laser across your wall brev keeps one of those in his game bag and he he originally started using it for minis because it's a really big deal when you're yeah, just recover and all that yeah it's a big deal but he'll it whip is. that on a game session like okay do you have an obstruction wow okay you're running 40 squares across a complex map and he'll whip that bad boy out and from your square to the square you want to be is there any obstructions and that's how he does it. Um, you know, I you know if you can eyeball it, pull out a piece of string, whatever. But yeah, that's that's how all you got to do to run it. It's uh, don't, let, don't yeah. let the map constrain that. I don't know. Do you, yep. do you have issues with it? Is it is it something you found to be a problem when you played? 
No. But you you have you're you're very good in terms of spatial perception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that you know, there's I don't know. I, I usually don't make as big a deal of it, but So, yeah. You know, it is what it is. Sydney is. So there's your answer, Lass. I hope it helps. And if you guys have questions, uh, hopefully as sultry as Lass's, uh, you can, of course, as we said, send them to us through a myriad of ways. You can email us, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com. You can get to the forums at d20radio.com slash Twitter. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry. <clears throat> wwd20radio.com slash forums. Um, I'll say you can also follow us on Twitter, but you can't really send us questions that way. I guess you could. Uh, but what we really want and haven't gotten in, in a while, although we did get a nice little liner at the top of the show there, is voicemail questions. Give us a call at the Geek Line, man. 214-218-4335. Geek. Um, leave us a voicemail. You know, ask your question or do what last did. Record an MP3 and email it to us. We want to hear it. Yes, indeed we do. And uh, there's going to be... Are we going to have another show before the end of the year? I, I, I hope I think so. Yeah, I would think we would. I mean, I know Christmas is right on the. We can, dude. We'll if we, we'll make the commitment and we'll pull it off, guaranteed, dude. We got three weeks till the end of the year. I hope so. Yeah, we better. All right. So, um, what we're trying to do with our show, you know what? I'm going to save this for post. Actually, remind me, <laughs> remind me about Justin TV for post. Ah, yes, getting off of UStream, going to Justin TV. Perfect. Yeah, yeah we'll talk about it in post. Indeed. Okay, so uh, we'll do this then uh, instead. Hey, welcome to Wattles. This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement, and I want you to come on down to Tatooine this week for our big special sale. Tell them Java sent you and you get a free chance cube. Uh, we got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. Uh, what do you know? Uh, uh. <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> ah, Watto. Ah, Watto. Watto's Bargain Basement. <sighs> I understand that you have acquired something... That is noteworthy. Yes. Although it's taken me some time to program it to go, um, but I finally did. <laughs> it, it, it took Watto a few months to actually acquire one. Uh, a few months, but we have finally managed to acquire one. Following up on a request months ago from a rogue astronomer, we've gotten our hands on a cargo-licious droid for your perusal. Uh, this week, we take a look at the mule droid, Gamer Nation. Dave, hit, lay this on me, dude. Talk to us about the mule droid. This is a fun little... little the mule thing. droid, yes, indeed. It is called the actual... It's an acronym for the Mechanical Universal Labor Eliminating Droid. Yuck, yuck. Yep. It's a right handy tool for the uh, mo moisture farmer, trailblazer, cargo smuggler, adventuring party. Yeah, there's some other uses that could be used for it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yep. It's a simple droid with a, a basic processor and a single claw appendage. This may, Thank you very much, sweetheart. I got cookies for my wife. <laughs> Yay! Fresh baked oatmeal cookies. You know what? You could put them on the mule droid. I could put them on the mule droid, and I could be eaten on the air in a second, but, you know, I'll, I'll abstain here for just a second. 
Uh, okay, so yeah, basic processor, single claw appendage, medium sized droid, really just a highly versatile beast of burden for its master. Can haul ten kilos of cargo internally, forty more on its frame. Whoa, that's a lot. So fifty kilos of transport. Cool. Yeah, that's slow, but really sturdy. Built-in repulsor lift locomotion hovers about a meter off the ground, ignoring all difficult terrain, but it travels at a mule's pace, which is only four squares around. Right. But here's the real beauty of the mule droid is the self-diagnostics package. So this highly sensitive diagnostic network constantly monitors the mule system, reporting details about any damage or stress to its master. The upshot of this is it grants a plus four bonus to any mechanics checks that its master undertakes to make repairs. Useful. Heck yes. So with a simple licensed availability cost of 9,000 credits, this dependable mule can be yours. Or really, the best friend to, say, the party noble with an eight strength. (laughs) (laughs) When he needs to cart around the med kit and the surgery kit and some med packs and the wardrobe and all the other stuff that they, you know. I could go on and on and on, but... Um, I see more interesting uses for the mule droid. Dude, what, what, about, what about, like, packing it full of explosives and, like, sending it off into the middle of a, of a fray? Well, it ignores difficult terrain. <laughs> and 50 kilos of, 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 uh, <clears throat> of detonite is, is, is quite a big boom. Big Just, bada yeah. boom. It would be an expensive claymore, but a hell of a claymore. Boom. Bada boom. Big bada boom. I think this is a fun and flavorful little option for a party. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. You can name it Bill. <laughs> and it could follow you, but you'd have to desert it before you enter the mines of Moria because, you know, you know, mules don't like, you know, going into mines. Yeah. I'd name mine Wilson. <laughs> Where can our listeners discover this awesome uh, 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 piece of accoutrement? Wilson! You can find the Mule Droid on page 45 of the Unknown Regions. So run off and buy it today. No, well, nice. you, can, you can't. Sort of. You right, it's oh, a full on in the chat going, you could use this to smuggle a Hujib Jedi Master Trojan horse style. Yeah. How about <laughs> or a that? squib. <laughs> just, just shove him in there. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah, one guy says, name him Boom. <laughs> I, uh, you, boom, you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was when I was beta testing uh, the Old Republic, it was, um, I had a um, bounty hunter, Sith bounty hunter. Well, you know, he was just a bounty hunter on the Sith side. Right. Named Bang. <laughs> that was fun. Oh, you so clever, you. Ah, yes. So I, I think I've come up with an intriguing way for you to enjoy a cookie and not have to eat on the air. Oh, is that so? It would be so. And it would be fragments from the rim. Ah, fragments from the rim. Okay, then we will do that. We will stop down right now for fragments from the rim, and uh, we'll be back with you in about six minutes or so. Yes. My lords. Welcome to Fragments from the Rim. What is thy bidding, my masters? 
Hold! Good. Your grasp of the basics of lightsaber combat are adequate. You are now ready to begin mastering the various lightsaber forms. Be warned, these forms are not just a talent or a neat trick of the Force. They are about a mentality, a widespread devotion of talents and feats. To truly equal the Jedi Masters in their expertise, you will need to master all aspects of the form. Now all of the lightsaber forms can achieve a level of mastery by taking the associated lightsaber form talent from the Jedi Knight class in the core rulebook. The Sith Apprentice can also take these talents by utilizing the stolen form talent from the Threats of the Galaxy sourcebook. An additional level of focus came from the various lightsaber form powers presented in the Jedi Academy training manual. These powers present abilities that are derived from the lightsaber forms that any lightsaber wielder can take and utilize, and gain additional effects when you also possess the associated lightsaber form talent. But beyond that, the lightsaber form also hints at talents, feats, and even skill choices that draw in the flavor of the form. Much of this knowledge was acquired from Jedi Master Donovan Morningfire, and much like the Sith way, we have not only stolen the information, but improved on it. The first form to discuss is Form 1, Shi Cho. Called the Determination Form, it was the first of seven formal lightsaber forms, developed when the Jedi Order changed over from metal blades to the new energy blades of the lightsaber. Shi Cho was intended to cater to the new weapons, establishing the basic mo motions and target zones of lightsaber combat. Effectively an experimental combat form, it was created before the coming of the Dark Jedi and the Sith Lords, so it does not address the issues of lightsaber versus lightsaber combat. It served a niche as a training form, with just about every Jedi and Sith including elements of it into their own fighting styles. It is considered an effective fallback option when no other form or combat style will do. Training in Shi Cho also included projectile deflection training, usually while blindfolded. This requires the trainee to rely on the Force, and to open up themselves to the awareness of the Force in order to defend against incoming blaster fire. The form also de is described as wild and raw, with a basic tenet of disarming foes rather than injuring them. The basic novice appeared clumsy in their fighting style, while masters of Shi Cho displayed fluid yet seemingly randomized and unpredictable sweeps and cuts. It serves the wielder well against multiple opponents. Its wide, sweeping motions are well suited towards attacking multiple adversaries. Against a single opponent, it performs poorly, allowing the opponent to take advantage of the random and clumsy stances and strikes. The lightsaber form talent for Shi Cho is a solid one, lessening the cumulative penalty to your use the force check for block and deflect attempts from minus five to minus two per attempt. The wielder needs to have the block and deflect talents to take the Shi Cho talent. Two lightsaber form powers are linked to Shi Cho. Disarming Slash allows the Jedi to make an attack against an opponent and, if successful, make a second use the force check in place of an attack test in the disarm attempt. The better the use the force roll to activate the power in the first place, the lower the normal reflex bonus one gets for being the target of a disarm attack. If you have the Shi Cho talent, you may use this power as a reaction to being attacked by an adjacent opponent. You can spend a force point to deal damage to the disarmed object equal to the damage of your initial attack. The other lightsaber form power is Sarlacc Sweep. Shi Cho is also known as the Way of the Sarlacc, 
and the Jedi embodies this beast by allowing the wielder to strike multiple opponents at once. By making a Use the Force check, the Jedi can make an attack against one target and deal damage to a secondary target within reach. The damage to the second target starts at 5 and goes up with bonus D6s to damage the higher the initial Use the Force check. If you have the Shicho talent, you can use this power at the end of a charge. You can spend a Force Point to affect two secondary targets, provided they are both within reach of the first. There are many talents and feats that you can take to properly portray your mastery of Shicho. Look at melee defense and improve defense's feats to show your expertise with the defensive aspects of the form, along with the Jedi's lightsaber defense and defensive acuity talents. Since the form favors disarming over damaging, look at the improved disarm feat and the severing strike talent. The whirlwind attack feat and the combination of cleave and follow-through feats cater towards Shi Cho's practice of fighting multiple opponents. Mastery of Shi Cho grants you a solid defense against multiple opponents and multiple ranges. It allows you to even the odds and disarm your adversaries of their weapons. To properly portray a Shi Cho inherent disadvantage against multiple opponents, never use the melee defense feat or the lightsaber combat talents while facing one opponent. This form is supposed to be insufficient to the task of one opponent, and that deficiency is what led to the topic of our next lesson. Form 2. Makashi. Class dismissed for today, Gamer Nation. Until next time, 20 side up, 1 side down. You have been listening to Fragments from the Rim and Transmission. Ooh, I smell a series. Daba 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 daba. <clears throat> I smell a series. I'm glad. I, you know, I, I, I think the, the lightsaber forms are, are there's a lot of history on them and there's a lot of a lot of good EU out there and and for the Jedi files, it's it's fun to get that that knowledge. So good on good on ya. Darth GM. Good on ya. Good on ya. Good on ya. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited because we get to use one of my favorite uh, liners. I mean, uh, actually bumpers. This is a bumper. You know, right here, maybe. I don't know. Do I get to play it? Hmm? 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 Okay. All right. Cool. Thank you, Daddy. Visions of the Force. Indeed. Like drifting off into a deep tissue massage. Yeah, you know if they had this stuff going, like in a. They spa, usually do actually. Spa. Yeah. Yeah. No. Indeed. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's there's a certain thing that our listenership can't get enough of, and Visions of the Force seems to be one of them. True that, man. Uh, you guys freaking love it. Uh, Visions of the Force is where, of course, we delve into the different and unusual Force traditions in the galaxy, a 
aside from the Jedi and Sith we all know so well. And tonight's discussion came from the ever cool Dane Deneth. Yes. And what did he simply ask us, Senor Dave? Ah, yes, he would ask this. I would very much like for you guys to go over the Wardens of the Sky, Force Traditions found on page 88 of the Jedi Academy Training Manual, or JADM as we say in the industry. <laughs> I think I'm going to actually try and play one of these in an upcoming Skype game. Sweet. Greatness, dude. Have at it. Ha so, Grasshopper. You wish to ply the space lanes of the galaxy, righting wrongs, looking badass and fading into the background like a wandering samurai of the Force? I can abide that, my man. Dave, I think I think we can abide that. Yes. I, I, I truly do. But frankly, I, I fell in love with the Wardens of the Sky the very first time I read about them, and I am so pleased that you requested this, Dane. So clear your minds, Gamer Nation. Suit up like any good vigilante does. Crack your knuckles and try to snatch the pebble from my hand as we join the Wardens of the Sky to right wrongs tonight on the Order 66 podcast. Indeed. And let me answer a question that comes up every single time we do this segment in the chat room. They've already asked it. That's Clonad. Clonad is the artist. The song is what? Harry's Game? Theme from Harry's Game, yep. Theme from Harry's Game. That's it. So there you go. Ah, uh, you know what else? You, you and I really need to get this discussion started, Dave. What? Duel of the Fates. Oh, of course. Paperbards in chat. Oh, Warden to the Sky. Space Batman! (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I'm Space Batman. I was thinking more Space Samurai, but Space Batman is a bit... Yeah, it's pretty darn good, quite frankly. Um, It works. It works, man. So we're going to talk about the Wardens of the Sky, man. Uh, I mean, Dave... Let's lead us off with with some of the history of this tradition, man. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's pretty good. Well, yeah kind of you know i'm not sure so okay so let me give you a little bit of a primer here you know last episode we talked about um what another a unique force tradition that quite it was frankly chain was last episode yeah and it, it would have absolutely I, I had no idea what the hell it was and you know it probably would have stumped a, an eu junkie because it didn't exist before it was written in saga edition that's correct all right wardens of the sky same deal all right they're in the same boat I mean, well, you know, no pun there. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> um, there were pirates last time, right? They were last time, and this time, they're yeah, but they're still, like, ship-focused. So yeah. yeah, it's still ship-focused, anyway. Exactly. Um, okay, so this Force Tradition debuted in the Jedi Academy Training Manual, and all we know about the Wardens is found on page 88 and 89 of that book. So, we we did a little bit of research and obviously a lot of reading on what was there, and and let's 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 set the stage, man, for for sort of the history of the wardens. How how did they start? How did they begin? Where? When? By whom? How? Why? So set your wayback machine for five thousand years before the Battle of Yavin, the time of the Great Hyperspace War. 
nasty war in hyperspace. <laughs> Indeed. Galactic president. Somebody <laughs> shimmelfinning. <laughs> Newsflash! 5,000 years before the Battle of Yavin at the time of the Great Hyperspace War. <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching way too much Clone Wars. Exactly. Uh, so, okay. 5,000 years before the Battle of Yavin. Hyperspace right. Great Hyperspace War. Yeah. Okay. After discovery of the ancient uh, Sith Empire, you know, this is obviously long forgotten by the Lax Republic, the evading Sith began a devastating war that sent the galaxy into turmoil, right? Great hyperspace war sucked. Yes, hyperspace war, to galaxy in turmoil, invasion of the Sith. Ah! During this time, the Jedi Order was really unable to do what it normally did, such as like identify Force-sensitive children and bring them into the fold. So right. one such overlooked child grew into a man with only rudimentary knowledge of his ability, mostly self-taught. Uh. His name is lost to history. Dang. However, he grew into a masterful pilot and hyperspace explorer during this time, which, you know, the navigation guilds were under fire. Well, there was a war. Yep. Using his force abilities to sense new hyperspace routes in the absence of accurate astrogation charts. This guy was a dedicated explorer. He was passionate about space travel. Began to use his self-taught Force abilities to protect spacers during the war, keeping hyperspace travel safe for those who could not protect themselves. This is Robin Hood. Wicked. In time, this man, who had become the first warden of the sky, encountered other force sensitives who shared his beliefs. He trained them, and he sent them out on the galaxy to protect the space lanes and keep hyperspace travel safe from those who would harm travelers or restrict them. That's awesome. Yes. Rocket Robin Hood. <laughs> Rocket Robin. But as we'll come to, I, I wouldn't necessarily equate these guys to Robin Hood because Robin Hood had an image to maintain, and that was extremely important to Robin Hood. It was his, mis- his, his mystique. His we, could, we could mix the, these two force traditions, and we could have Robin Hood. Possibly. But unlike Robin Hood, I mean, we, when we look at, like, the history of the Wardens, there's a reality versus, quote-unquote, the truth. Because the story Jay just told you is, in the Star Wars universe, what actually happened. But good luck getting anyone to believe that. I mean, in reality, most spacers consider the Wardens to be an utter and complete myth. Most people have never even heard of them. And those who have consider it to be total fiction spun by drunk pilots and wanderers just making you know good cantina stories, basically. And unlike Robin Hood, who used his image to inspire fear in his enemies... Same way Batman does, pretty much. The Wardens actually encourage this perception. They're very subtle. Um, they're very, very few in number. They hide themselves off extremely well. They pass off as denizens of spaceports and crewmen on ships. And, and rarely, if ever, do they reveal what they are to other people. It, it, it's, a, it's a brotherhood of anonymity that, that we'll come to. You know, the, the idea is that they don't want people to know that they've been acting, that they're protecting the space lines because they don't want people to be afraid. They don't want people to to experience danger and fear and keep them from traveling. So, kind of interesting. Very much so. So, okay, what, dude? What planet do the wardens hail from? Where, where's their Where's their Where's their home? It's wherever they want to be. <laughs> so, what you're saying is. I'm saying they're not part of a planetary culture or really call anywhere home. Okay. Yeah, I mean, as a group, if you want to call them a group, 
Their home is, as so deftly put, right now my address is the RMS Titanic. And literally it was. I mean, their house, their home is the spaceport or the ship that they're on. Right. Their captains, their navigators, their simple crewmen bound together by a strong philosophy that drives them at the core. And the unique training that harnesses their abilities and their mythos. That's really what they are and where they're from. Well, okay, well, so let's 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 talk about this this mythos, this drive, this this philosophy. Let's let's get into the ways of the wardens. What do these characters believe in? What is that philosophy? What what separates them from the Jedi or the Sith? What are their values? What are their abilities? What I mean these unique abilities they have? Um, I mean, so t- talk to me about this philosophy based on the history lessons we just had. What is their philosophy? If, if I mean, if you encounter one of these guys, what do they believe in? Well, you know, that's the cool thing about this is that the basic philosophy of the warden is really, really simple. You know, and and it's they use their their knowledge of space and their knowledge of the force to make the space line safe. You know, Period. I mean, that's it. End of story. So, would you call them light siders, dark siders? Ah, we'll come to that later. But yeah, everybody has the right. To travel safely between the stars, and it's their responsibility to oppose those who might prey on space travelers, because history has really taught them nobody else can. Word. It's not like you can depend on the Republic. Oh, great, we're in a war. Yeah. Or the Empire. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, kind of there. Okay, but what I find fascinating about this is this is a very basic philosophy, but there are differing interpretations. I mean, the wardens of the sky can interpret their doctrines, their doctrine individually in very different ways. And, and it can sometimes surprise you with what they might consider to be a threat to space travel. I mean, you got the obvious. I mean, you know, like, obviously, you know, what pirates, okay? I mean, th- these guys would be at the blazing chain's throat, right? Right. Pirates, slavers, those who are out to blatantly harm space travelers, those are obvious targets for a warden. But when you think about tr- restricting space travel... What's the biggest restrictor of spacers out there? Uh, government. Government! That's right. I mean, they, they restrict more heavily than a pirate gang ever could, and, and wardens often work to undermine those bureaucratic threats. Thus, many wardens find themselves working as smugglers. I mean, just to keep free trade growing, going across the hyperlanes, especially when faced with an extremely restrictive governmental regime. Um, I, I imagine the wardens had a heyday smuggling during the time of the Empire. Um. And that's pretty cool. You know, other wardens, you can find them just patrolling spaceports, protecting innocents and keeping their fear of space travel at bay by dealing with criminals and mercenaries in the riffraff that prey on travelers and ports and things like that. Again, removing that, that, that fear. Yep. But lastly, man, I mean, what's, what's their big thing? I mean, we, we kind of hinted at this. They're, they're anonymous. Yeah, they're unseen. They're totally unseen. They, they work subtly. When they're forced into a direct action or a confrontation, they follow it by quickly just fading away. The best thing in the world, you know, for a, for a warden is that you won't even know that you're with one. That they're exactly. just a simple spacer. They're a crewman. They're nobody of consequence. You're not going to see a lightsaber. You're not going to see them wearing armors or grandstanding with some... You know, call me Lord Angus the Bold. 
<laughs> no. Not going to see that. Just another face in a ship. And that's the real difference, you know, back to Paper Bard's comment in the chat, is is they're not so much space Batman. Because Batman, yeah, he, he helps and then disappears, but not before stopping to go, ha-ha, I am Batman, fear me! Poof! And, the, you know, oh, crap, don't do anything, because Batman will get you. You know, right. it's not like there's crime watch out there going, oh, man, we better not go through the system because the wardens might stop us. They don't even know the wardens exist. No one does. Right, it's like bad luck has, well, dang it, it didn't work. Exactly. Or, you know, a good Samaritan just helped them. I don't know why. You know, it's th- that's kind of the point. Yep. Um, I, I just, I love this, this turn on it. Because whereas you look at Jedi, okay, who are obviously have this protective streak and they're there to help people. And honestly, would, well, maybe with the exception of smuggling, would be doing pretty much the same things the Wardens do, right? The point is the Jedi are a symbol. I mean, a Jedi with an open lightsaber on a ship can stop conflicts just by his mere presence. It, 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 it strikes fear in people. It, get, it promotes respect in that person and his abilities. That's not the case here. Um, and that can lead to some interesting player scenarios, which I know we'll come to. Well, kid, talk to me about the powers these guys possess. The powers. Well, you know, they still they want to be anonymous. Yeah. And in line with that. They prefer unarmed methods of combat. To them, uh, weapons are going to be a liability. Just, you know, it's going to tip off their enemies. It's going to be a warning to their enemies. Hey, there's a warden here. Or yeah. somebody who can jack me up. Exactly. Like he's got a gun as opposed to he's some lame crewman. Right, exactly. Yeah, precisely. Okay. So as such, wardens really have mastered techniques of using the force to... Heavily augment unarmed attacks. Sweet. So, in terms of their trappings, I mean, you say wardens pretty much prefer not to use weapons at all. Right. Aside from fists and feet. Right. Always with them, always underestimated. Right. Um, You mentioned earlier what lightsabers would pretty much be completely out of the question for a warden. Right. I mean, they're, they're, they're memorable, they're noticeable, they're a symbol, they cause immediate recognition, even when they're hanging unignited on a belt. Um, exactly. I think the same could be said for fancy or exotic weapons or blasters, um, armor. I mean, I, I can I can see a warden might carrying a, like maybe carrying a common blaster pistol, the same as any you know spacer would. But that's that's pretty much it, yeah. Probably if they even chose that at all. Yeah. Um, you know, plain clothes very common. I mean, their their goal is to be seen as just another worker, just common and plain. The weapon of the warden is their body. And the force. You know, the force allows them to become fearsome, unarmed combatants, aiding in their attacks and their defense. So let's talk about that. Let, let's, let's get into the mechanics of the Wardens, Dave. You know, in, in light of all this, I think you'd expect to find some pretty powerful force talents available for this tradition. And, and you would be right in that assumption. Uh-oh. The Wardens of the Sky talent tree It's found on page 89 of the Jedi Academy training manual and consists of six talents to make you frankly, a rather frightening unarmed combatant. And we're going to talk about them actually slightly out of order from the way they are in the book in order to discuss them in a more, co- more coherent fashion. Ah. So, dude, hit, hit me up with the first, dude. I, th- this, is, this is fun. Okay. So um, this one, it's called the Rebound Leap. <laughs> and it pretty much is what it sounds like. It may be the flashiest of all the talents. It 
allows you to bounce around like a pinball around the battlefield. Whenever you reduce a foe to zero hit points with an unarmed attack, you can make an immediate jump check as a free action using Surge if you have it, moving a distance equal to the result of your jump check. So what this really lets a warden do is take on a spread out team of enemies just as effectively as someone who has a blaster. So I can hit one guy and as a free action jump. Jump to the next guy and then and, and I'm twenty squares across the map. And you're ready to go hit the next guy, yep. Dude, that see, that's just freaking useful. Because that's that's the biggest problem with being a melee combatant or an unarmed combatant is you don't have the flexibility of a ranged character in terms of being able to deal with multiple threats on the field. Yes. And it, like a lot of talents, and we'll talk about this, you know, wardens are very solitary. They work alone most of the time. And, you know, if you're alone, you don't have a team to back you up. How do you deal with multiple threats effectively? And a lot of these talents focus on ways to make an uh, uh, unarmed combatant more effective against multiple threats at once. Um, the next talent in the tree is martial resurgence. You know, you're, you're a martial arts fighter. You're a warden of the sky. But you're also a force user. And this talent combines both worlds in, in an interesting way. So, Dave, you know how when you, when you roll a nat 20 and you use the force check, you regain all your spent force powers? Yes. With this talent... That also happens when you roll a nat 20 in an unarmed attack roll. All right, that's badass. That's pretty cool. So when you crit, not only do you crit, oh, I got all my force powers back. <laughs> that's pretty good. And, you know, in an average encounter, if you got a decent force suite, you figure you're going to be throwing force powers around just as often as you hit and punch, right? So instead of a 5% chance every other round, you got a 5% chance every single round to get those force powers back. And that's pretty good. Wondrous. Vandamus. Uh Okay, so the next one is a telekinetic throw. And, I mean, it sounds cool, but it's not really a must-have. Mm. You know, uh, it reminds me of, uh, you know, again, back in the beta, the con- the Jedi Consular throws stuff out of the, you know, like manifesting out of the ground and throws it at their opponent. And one of our guys was the master I throw things. Yeah. You know, there's... Just a beautiful, beautifully simple, simple name. I just love it. But telekinetic throw is not a must-have here. So but keep in mind it can be deadly if you know how to use it with the right build. Right. So you have to <clears throat> you have to have the throw feet in order to get this. But you now know how to use the force to amplify your throw when you use it. So when you execute the throw grapple ability. You can hurl the foe up to three squares away. So how is this useful? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wondering about that, too. Let's see. One. These are in no particular order. You can get away easier. That's true. So you throw them away from you, and then you got to... And then you take off. Right. Okay. Two, it, it puts some distance between you and a foe. True. And three... And this is the best part. Your foe lands prone. Well, yeah, that, that, that's part of trip. And that's, that's good if you're a melee attacker. Yeah. Heck yeah, absolutely. And now they're more than two squares away. Guess what? You can charge. Ah. Plus seven effect to hit. Because my, they get a minus five to reflex for being prone. You get a plus two for charging. How about that? 
That that's a that okay. All right, I'm I'm with you. I'm with it. Okay, you're right. That's not a must have, but that can be pretty cool. Yeah, it just depends, right? Okay. All right. I I like it. I like it. Yep. Um, the the four talent in the tree telekinetic strike. I love this talent. It's so flavorful. Basically, you know, the point of these guys is they learn to use the force to augment their unarmed attacks. Well, in this one, you've learned to use the force to enhance your damage as well as your attack, specifically force points. So when you're able to spend a force point, you can choose to do so with this talent after you hit with an unarmed strike. And what you do is you add the force point total to your damage instead of your attack roll. Uh, and that's pretty nice. Yes. I mean, I mean, one of the things that you know unarmed attackers often suffer from is a lack of damage. Uh, you know, when you compare an unarmed strike to a vibroax or a blaster, this can really help shore that up. But also, it's a prerequisite for the next talent. Oh, would that be brutal unarmed strike? Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is this is where um, the force lets you hit uh, hard. Really hard. So with this talent, you can re-roll any damage dice for your unarmed attack that come up with a result of one. <laughs> That's because you know nothing pisses you off, especially if you have a single die of damage, than rolling a one. That's right. So you re-roll it, and you know combine this with telekinetic strike, you can really dish out some damage, boys. Yeah, you, you really can. Um. Mm, very interesting. The last talent of the tree is, in my opinion, the crowning glory of this talent tree. And, you know, I talk about some of the really good talents that allow you to deal with multiple enemies at once. This is uh, the, the aptly named Simultaneous Strike. Uh, basically, the force guides your unarmed attacks with uncanny perceptive abilities. As a standard action, you can make two unarmed attacks as long as they're each against different targets within your reach. Bum, bum. Amazing talent. It just makes you want to wade into those flanking situations. But you know, the idea is you're throwing two fists out at the same time. You're throwing a kick out with a punch at the same time. You're jumping up in the air with both legs and hitting two guys in the face at once. Man. And there, you know, there's no penalty to either attack roll. It, it's just, which is huge. Okay, that's, that's absolutely huge. And, and the real reason it's a crowning glory. It's just, if there's, as long as there's two guys and you can make attacks against two different people, standard action, two attacks at once, no penalty to either one. Just think Lilu Dallas Multipass. Lilu Dallas Multipass. <laughs> when she hits those two, bam, bam, one behind her, one in front of her. That's it. That's it. So excellent, amazing talent. So, dude, I mean, you can see where, where this where this is kind of going in terms of their unique abilities. It's all about amping up that martial arts combat, you know? Yes. So, now that we've covered all this, just what does a wandering space samurai player do with it? How do we, how do we bring it all together and actually get a good Warden of the Sky character on the table? What character decisions and mechanical choices do you need to make? And how do you actually become a member of the Wardens or, or learn their ways? Um, as I was doing some research for this, like, Dave, are you familiar with the Japanese word Ronin? Uh, yes. They made a movie called Ronin. They, they, they did. They did. Um, so 
the interwebs actually tell me that Ronin literally means wave man, uh, illustrating one who is socially adrift. But the, the, the term is used in Japanese history and, and pop culture rather heavily to identify classically a samurai without a master. Right. Okay? Now, in, 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 in that time period in Japan, if a samurai's lord was killed, I mean, he was honor-bound to commit seppuku and, you know, end his life because he didn't have a master anymore. But those who didn't uh, became ronin or, or wandering samurai. And it was, you know, historically an appellate used actually rather dishonorably. You know what I mean? It was like, mm. um, But in reality, or I guess in, in, in pop culture, <laughs> um, it became romanticized. Uh, and, and that's what we're going for here for, people. Uh, Ronins were sort of wandering knights. You know what I mean? Uh, they had no lord they reported to. They just they just wandered the land, righting wrongs, fighting injustice. You know, the, 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 yeah, thank you, full-on. High Plains Drifter, the, the man with no name, you know? That's right. Like, he goes through the that, desert that, on a horse with no name. Yeah, and, and <laughs> thank you. But in, in, in romanticized Japanese pop culture, that, that's what the, the ronin is. And that's really how I picture the, the wardens. It's like this, these, this, these ronin of the hyperlanes, you know? Uh, they, just, they just wander around, righting wrongs, fighting injustice, and then leaving town. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I think they're obviously modeled after this romanticized stereotype. And and there's good examples that we can probably think of, you know, from a for, from a character standpoint to kind of fit into this mold. Sure. Um, what I mean, just the there, there's like the simple dock worker who just walks up and utterly pimp slaps six goons, shaking down his boss for extortion money, and then just turns around and goes back to loading crates. <laughs> um, yeah. What what else? Uh, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about. Let's think of a smuggler, okay. um, captain, um, just heart of gold kind of guy. Um, does what he does because he thinks it's the right thing to do. Exactly. That that type of archetype could easily be a warden of the sky. Um, the 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 faceless man with no name who just walks out of the crowd to smack down a pair of hijackers uh, trying to take a ship and then disappears before anyone can even get his name. Um, you know, there's there's yep. some really cool, you know, very romantic, uh, uh, you know, high plains drifter kind of uh, feel of this. I, I really really like it. That inspires me to create a character on Tuesday named John McClane. There you go. Boom. Boom. So, wardens, I mean, very similar to Ronin, they're, they're usually also very solitary, yeah? They are a little bit. They, you know, they got no organized structure. They don't have any ranks. They don't, you know, I mean, they don't want to have any of that stuff. They definitely don't have any kind of super secret bat cave. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We've been Thank going you. down Batman all day. <laughs> and there we go. Yeah. But, I mean, that, and that makes sense. So, that's really the... The, the character archetype we're going for when we're trying to build this. Now, you mentioned this earlier. Let's talk about the light and the dark, because we like to do this with these traditions. You know, I think the Wardens had the potential to make some excellent player characters really on par with pure Jedi, because they have a moral code they follow, and a guiding philosophy that, that emphasizes protecting the weak and the innocent from the elements that would harm them or restrict them, and thus it's easy to hold them to that code and, and you know, make them legitimate and balanced characters. Yes, I... 
I can't imagine creating a dark side guy. I I don't know why. I just uh, I'm I'm kind of there with you. I mean, I could see picking up a DSP every once in a while. How so? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, you walk up, let's say, to a corrupt uh, uh, official, and you know, it's it's not necessarily about it's not necessarily about the guy itself, but it's the overall philosophy that they want to protect others and and not seek a reward, right? Yeah. Um, but okay, like the we dark had our, side. We had our dark side. Yeah. Our dark side episode a while back. We had we had that 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 example. It's like okay, if if okay, so you have your corrupted official that you say okay, and let's say he's going to you know execute a bunch of you know innocent children that you know were on the wrong transport or smuggled aboard or whatever. Um, and you know you ask the Jedi, you know. You know, and basically, he's got his finger over the button. Do you kill the guy in cold blood? That's worthy of a dark side point, quite probably. But is it justified? And I a think Jedi that the, might waver at that decision. The Jedi probably wouldn't, but a dark a warden, I bet, would, mm. because that guy is going to go and he's going to do it again. So I'm going to put you out of your misery, and I'm going to I'm going to double tap you to the head. I feel you. You know. Anyway, I mean that's. Granted, that's that's a complete philosophy shift from your true darksiders would would use their passion to go kill this guy, and then they'd want all the glory. Well, they you know, yeah, your warden this guy doesn't like, want any the, of that. I think I think the dark side devotion. You're right, man. It's like it's like you want that reward. You want the recognition. You want the power that comes with that. So I mean, this philosophy seems to kind of preclude that. That's right. See, you could just imagine. That dark side, or the, like, yeah, I don't know, dark side warden. I don't know. No, yeah, I'm with you. I really can't I, see I, it. I, I, now, I think it's tempting to see wardens as kind of strong supporters of the light side of the force, um, and I think one might very easily be. But devotion to their ideal can can you know occasionally turn them away from being the Boy Scouts of the galaxy. Um, yeah, read Jedi. <laughs> I mean, I can't see a Jedi ever becoming a, a smuggler. Yeah, no, that, you're right. You're right. So uh, there's kind of a little bit of a line there, but I think you're right. There, there's there's some things they just won't cross, and certainly devotion to or use of the dark side as a standard practice is not something I think I could see a warden condoning. I don't see a Jedi coming up and you know coming coming out. You know, if you use your same basic deal, you know, a pirate that killed some children, and you know, here's the here's the warden of the sky coming to exact his revenge and. I could see a Jedi wouldn't say this, but I could see a warden coming down and saying, "You will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon him and then kill him." Bam. There you go. You know. Anyway. So okay, how do you join the wardens, man? How how do you become a member of this group? How do you learn their ways? Ah, well, that's easy. Actually, um, you uh, make an application at your nearest Corellian starport. <laughs> And get laughed out. You want to join what? Ah! <laughs> Moron. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you send it to super, super, super secret probation at wardenofthesky.com. Yes. Bum. Yeah. No. What's okay. Like? How, how, would a, how would a character... All right, so you're going to need to work with your GM, like, big time. Because okay. you need to find a master, and then you need to become a warden. 
Okay, but then what then, right? Well, I think obviously for a character perspective, and the reason you bring that up, every warden in the sky was discovered by an existing warden and taught, right? Right, yep. So the character, they got to have force sensitivity, and they got to have that master to teach you. But it was with the understanding that you are going to become a warden yourself when it's done. You're going to travel hyperspace. You're going to protect others. You're going to teach one student at a time the same way you were taught when the right candidate comes up. Right. Um, it, I mean, is there any species limitation? Pretty much any species can become a warden. It's just pretty much up to the teacher, right? Yeah. The one thing I find hard to swallow is learning from le- learning from the wardens as opposed to becoming one. I find that very hard to swallow. Because these guys are super secretive, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, they don't reveal who they are, what they yeah. are. Yeah, and, and pretty much won't ever do that you know, unless they're teaching a pupil with the understanding that that pupil is going to become a warden themselves. One of the things that I, 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 call, I call it the... My, I always have players want to do this. I call it the Cade Skywalker syndrome <sighs> of, of, of traveling around, of being all cool and learning crazy force secrets from random traditions but not really joining them. This It's really not going to fit in here. You want to learn these abilities? You need to become a full-fledged warden. You need to commit to the path. Period. Period. End of sentence. Story. Over. Right? Yeah. Whoa, did I... I said Cade Skywalker. You did. You meant Jaden. Jason. Yeah. I meant Jason Solo. Yeah. You meant Jason. Freudian slip. Sorry. (laughs) 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 Full on in chat. Eh, Same difference. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the Jason Solo syndrome. We Uh, all knew what you meant. Yes, we knew. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Cade knew some weird abilities, too. But Jason was the worst, the worst perpetrator. Oh, yeah, I just happened to know about the uh, flow walking. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little. <laughs> Imbecile. Isn't it? A.K.A. Darth Stupid. <laughs> now with 100% more wine. <laughs> nice. So, all right, dude. L- let's say you're able to work with your GM and find a master and become a warden. What then? How uh-huh. do you? How do you build a warden of the sky? How do you maximize it? How do you be the best warden you can be? That's what I'm saying right there, dude. That's what, see, you just beat me to the punch. That's all it was. I was trying to jump way ahead. Way say, ahead. Hey, go talk to your GM, dude. But yeah, you have to go talk to your GM. You have to go through all that stuff. Yes. We'll come there. Super secret probation stuff. Super secret double probation. That's right. So, all I, right. I, I think, dude, dude should, we, should we preface this? Yes. Episode 88 is absolutely... Okay. A preface. That w- that was the episode. It was, dude. Sweep the episode. leg. So sw- sweep the leg. Thank you. That was um the uh, that was our ultimate build episode for martial artists. It was, indeed, it was. So, we are talking about building an unarmed combatant, and we'll be giving you some general advice. But yeah, Dave's right. Go listen to episode eighty-eight too. Okay. Find Mister Han. All right, man. Let's build a warden. Talk to me about classes, dude. Classes, classes, classes. Hmm. Okay, so uh, we're going to look at some specific classes because Jedi are just no. All right? No No and no and no. And just on the heels of that failure is nobles. Mm. Nobles don't bring you really anything. They've got a bunch of skills. Scout and Scoundrel here is probably pretty wise. 
Both classes provide access to stealth. You know, very important, obviously, for the anonymous warden and the pilot. Kind of essential, actually, for protector space lanes, you know? Word. But, like Visa, soldiers everywhere you want to be. Yeah. Uh, this is going to comprise a lot of your levels, not just because of the attack bonus and the strong hit points, but excellent unarmed combat talents available to the soldier. All right, that being said, you know, Scout is still a good spot, a good, good, phenomenal choice, actually, for several levels, because you get evasion, you get... Ah, ubiquitous evasion. Yes, the extremely ubiquitous evasion. And talents from the very conceptually flavorful and highly useful camouflage, fringer, hyperspace explorer talent trees, all three of them. The, the, those really do fit the concept well. All of them. Yeah. All those trees. Um, espionage from Galaxy of Intrigue. Well, that's a good recommendation. You know, I mean, there's, there's another one that's uh, using stealth and melee combat. That's what that tree is mostly about, yeah. Exactly, right? So you get the spacer talent tree if you go scoundrel, which is True really that. perfect, right? Very flavorful, yes. All right, not, you know... Although this isn't really terribly useful in combat, smuggling talent tree from the Force Unleashed is is pretty fitting. True, you know, for for certain builds, I would say. Yeah. And um, uh, but of course, you know, soldiers, your standby. You really want to take it because you need to fight well. You need to live through it. It's got the brawler talent tree, which is pretty much where it starts and ends. Period. Alpha, Omega. Go back to episode eighty-eight. Okay, if you haven't already done it. Yeah. All right, put in a dash of indomitable and a little bit of devastating attack, and you are one BMF. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. I, I can totally see Soldier with a, with a few levels in Scout or Scoundrel, man. You, you could make a really frightening build, um, you know, focusing on that stealth. Man, I, I'm all about that, that, the espionage talent tree from Scout, dude, because you can use your stealth to really jack up your melee combat. Yes, sir. Hmm. But what about the force, dude? I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking about force and, oh, should I be like a... What should I be, dude? Well, okay, here's where we leave episode 88 and the martial art behind because, you know, a warden of this guy is a force user as well as a martial artist. By definition, you need to use the force. Um... So obviously, Dave, what I think, aside from the obvious Wardens of the Sky talents that we already went over, um, I think there's several nice potential Force talents you should consider to augment this build, uh, starting with Force Pilot and Instinctive Navigation from the Sense Talent Tree. If, if you don't have access to Pilot or Use Computer, here you go. You know, I mean, you got to have those skills. You're, you're, the, the point of your existence is to be on ships and spaceports. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Know how to pilot, know how to astro-navigate. Um, and if you don't have the skills for that, uh, or the, 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 uh, either you've run out of skills, train skills to choose from, or you even don't have them on your class list, those two talents can just make it a use the force check. Do- double duty. Um, damage reduction 10, equilibrium from the control talent tree, old standbys. They provide excellent defensive ability for any force using character. And if you're, if you're taking equilibrium, seriously consider force recovery. You're going to be fighting alone quite a bit and you need the healing boost that force recovery is going to provide um 
Brev's character in our in our flagship has that, Dave. It's the one where when he second wins, he heals an extra number of hit points equal to the total number of force points he has. Yeah. Um, which is huge. Uh, in terms of force powers, uh, you know, I, th- I think you want to strive for those techniques that maximize unarmed strikes and melee defense, as well as those that aid in stealth and anonymity. Yes. Uh, you know, so what? Cloak, mind trick. Uh, I think I think either one or the other or both should probably be in your force suite. Getting away unseen or simply convincing someone to leave you alone. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I, I think that's too necessary not to have. Right. Um, the rubber meets the rubber meets the road with me though with a battle strike. Dude, it's a classic way to to boost what is frequently low unarmed damage. Yep. For me, the rubber meets the road with Surge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, when you're talking about the Bouncy Bounce talent, hell yeah. yeah. It is a must-have for Rebound Leap, dude. Um, yep. Close with a foe fast, and you can use it in conjunction with Rebound Leap. Sur- surge and Battle Strike to Coral Book t- uh, Force Powers that are wonderful for this build. And lastly, I mean, as a recommendation, although you will often be working alone and you can't use this power on yourself, Vital Transfer is something I can see a lot of Wardens knowing and having. Yeah. Um, as a protector, it's nice to be able to heal those hurt by the enemies that you target. Um, you know, after you mop up the baddies, stopping to heal the six-year-old, you know, Twi'lek child Aww. who was just, you know, took a blaster bolt in the arm during the firefight is, is, is very fitting for the character. Oh, nice. So, prestige classes, man. What are we looking at here? Force Adept was where I, that's where my brain was going before we even started talking about the Force. Okay. You know, you've got talents in there like Fortified Body, Mystic Master. You know, who could blame you for thinking about that? But, you know, pause for a second. And I think you and I are both going to say that this is not really the best fit. Because, yeah, I mean, Force, you know, creating Force items is not... You know, it's not just highly ineffective, it's it's conspicuous. I mean, yeah, you're a character that doesn't use weapons anyway. Right. So, and throwing around some amulet is not exactly anonymous. Right. So, you know, I mean, most of these other talents are, are you know, granola, crunchy, wow, man, search your feelings. <laughs> You know, yeah, basically, basically, you know, it's a lot of hippie talents, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it really goes <laughs> against this type, right, of a mystery man of passionate action. This is not it. So we come to a really obvious and best choice here, and that would be the martial arts master. Mm. You know? I mean, name me some talents that we're not going to use, like tough as Durasteel. That, that ability is what a solo combatant needs the most. Hit points. Yeah. You know, it um, might take a while to get there, obviously, because you're going to level dip in some really bad base attack bonus classes, but it'll be sure. worth it. Yeah. I, I, I really I really have to agree with you on that. Um, I, I think Martial Arts Master is where it's at. Yeah. Um, so, okay. To wrap up our discussion on this tradition, okay, because we talked about it quite a bit, let's... Let's talk about the things to be wary of when you're playing a warden or when you're GMing one. Dave, as the consummate player, 
Ah, uh, yes, I will offer you my two cents. Talk to us about the player's perspective. Okay, so um, here's what I here's what I think about just you know reading what I know about this um, build, which is something that I have not considered doing before, but I might now because it's really cool. So it's, it's luring archetype. It yes, really that's exactly what I was about to say. It's it's not it's just undeniable how you'd be drawn to this archetype. You know, players, however, in, in my opinion, are going to experience some real big issues that I would have a problem with because I'm not the biggest role player, right? So, one, you really need to come up with a backstory and how you're going to find your master. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be able to convince your GM that this is the good thing to do, right? Is this the right thing to do? And you've got to do it from the start. And, you know, it's... You know, getting to this tradition is almost entirely at the control of your GM. So make your backstory good, find that master, impress him with the unarmed abilities and more, you know, moral fortitude that, you know, that is, uh, is enough to make, uh, to make him want to train you. All right? And what, what, what's fascinating to me is obviously you realize the wardens are unknown in the galaxy at large. So it's not like your character is going to be like, I want to be a warden of the sky. Because right. you have no idea what these guys even are. Right. It's it's literally you're 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 wandering a spaceport and this dude approaches you and says I saw you help those people, I'd like to talk to you about something. Who are you? You want me to be, you want me to be a what? Yeah. But it's, it's one of those things like the the player knows but the character doesn't. Right. That's really hard to pull off. It's exactly. So yeah. Bottom line: talk to your GM, see mm. how they can work into the game if they want to, if they desire. And um, the reality is that. Anonymity to a player is going to be a biatch. Yeah. How many of us play because we want to play characters that get reward and recognition <laughs> at the end of the day? We, most of us do, and let's talk frankly, you're not going to like it when you don't get any, you know, when you need to role play in such a situation that you're, you don't want it, right? The, you know, credits, glory, all that. A warden doesn't care for any of that. Anything like that draws attention to him, and that's something that he just doesn't want. Mm. So as a player, you need to make this conscious decision to keep your character's identity hidden from the galaxy at large and stick to it, and you need to have that internal intestinal fortitude to do it. That's not easy. I know. I was about to. I was. I was caught between trying to say internal wherewithal and inter- intestinal fortitude, and it came out internal wheretitude. It was weird. We have a new catchphrase: internal wheretitude. <laughs> so, all right, man, you bring up some really good points from the GM's perspective, and usually it's always always tied to the player's perspective. Um, GMs do face a couple tough spots for having this type of character in your game. The first is obviously related to the first one you talk about, Dave. And from a GM's perspective, it's all about giving the player what you want, what they want. You're going to be faced with the fact, as a GM, that your player is going to want you to restructure your story that is yours, that you have built in some small way, to give them what they need, which is a master, at least for a little while. Get comfortable as a GM, with managing a high-level NPC who stays out of the way. This is the same challenge that somebody... It's like, okay, I'm playing a level one Jedi. Okay, so you're a Padawan. You have a master. But obviously, you guys can't adventure with the master. That would be stupid and pointless, and you guys wouldn't get any XP, right? 
So mm-hmm. how do you deal with that? It, it's the same thing. Get comfortable managing a high-level NPC who stays out of the way. And I think it's even easier for a, a warden of the Sky Master than it would be for a Jedi Master. It, it's very likely this Master doesn't hold his people's hand, but he observes from a distance, watching the practice of his lessons in the real world. You right. know, go, yeah. do. I, I want to see what you've done. Yes, go, do. Now, please. Oh, you failed. <laughs> Guess you're not warden material. <laughs> Um, the bigger challenge, though, for the GM in this situation is to give the rest of the players in the party their due. This is a biggie. You really have to think about it. When you start setting up special situations and NPCs in the game for a single character, the other players can and will get jealous, whether they want to or not. Hey, jealousy. Mm-hmm. You need to make sure they all get a similar opportunity unique to their character lines. And this can be quite daunting, especially for a six-player party. It is probably the biggest challenge you will face when GMing a warden. It has nothing to do with the warden character itself, but with the other characters in the party. So beware. Yep, yep, yep. And lastly, this isn't a problem. This is a boon. Dave, your whole anonymity being a biatch, that is GM gold, man. Yeah. (laughs) If this player is playing the warden the way they should, then they're going to be struggling to keep a low profile. You challenge this. The act of keeping their identity and their abilities a secret is the perfect plot hook for that player, and it's great motivation tool that can spur a good player to make certain choices in the game. Use it. Use it, use it, use it. At the same time, if a player plays a warden poorly and stops caring about the secrecy, then make it a big deal in the game. What, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you think other wardens would do when they find out that this guy, this trained warden, is blabbing about the tradition, is making public displays, accepting money and rewards and fame, getting his name known. What do you think they'll do when they find out about that? Uh, What about rogue agencies that are out there, or empires, or bounty hunters? Or huts. Or huts. What are they going to do to you? What are they going to do to your comrades? Oh, wow, wardens of the sky are real, and this guy claims to be one? We better hunt them. Um, yeah. Make make the you you have an easy avenue to make the player pay for a poor role playing decision. It's about and as, use it because it's a good story. It's about as easy as a Jedi making himself publicly known during the dark times. Exactly. Oh, I love Doctor Xerox in chat. The first rule of the Sky Wardens: <laughs> <laughs> do not talk about the Wardens of the Sky. Uh, I smell an episode title. Oh, the first rule of the Wardens of the Sky. You do not talk about the Wardens of the Sky. The second rule of the Wardens of the Sky. You do not talk about the Wardens of the Sky. Love it. So, excellent suggestion, Dane. I hope we have presented you with a little bit of of knowledge and maybe given you some ideas as to how to properly build or play this character. I would love to play one of these characters, man. I'm so intrigued by this concept. Um, It's very fun. It's very flavorful. And, and, uh, I, I really, really like it. So that's the Wardens of the Sky, folks. Yep. Me too. We want to hear what else you would like us to talk about, folks. You just have not been shy so far about, uh, well, in the past, you know, three, four years. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, of uh, show requests, but keep them coming, man. We haven't, what? we have not built a community of thousands of members now by you being quiet all this time 
This is true. This is true. So don't start now. Get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums. Post your mind. Let us know where you want us to go, what you want us to talk about. Send us an email. GM Chris at d20radio.com. GM Dave at d20radio.com. And catch us live if you can. Obviously, we post up on the forums when our live shows happen. And you can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at GM Chris. I'm GM Dave. And uh, while you're at it, call the Geek Line 253-218-4335. Leave us a question for the docking bay. Or leave us a liner. Tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. You know, it's been a little while. And it came up in the chat room from someone, a rather new listener. And we do have a lot of new listeners. So I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. At the end, when last said sex in advance, um, and rather drew it out, there was an episode once where we had Chuck and Sam on. And um, one of it the guys... A question. Yeah, it was a listener question that came in from Zertz, if I remember right. And... He was talking so fast that we started to give the answer, and all of a sudden Chuck stopped down the whole show and said, Wait, did he say sex in advance instead of thanks in advance? And we all had a giant hoot about it, and that turned into the episode title, if I remember correctly. No, it may not have, but it was certainly um, it was certainly a big laugh, and ever since then, sex in advance has been part of the vernacular of the Order 66 podcast. So It has. Our, our listeners continue to use it. Indeed um, they do. So th- there it is. Hey, I have something real quick at the end of the show I would like us to talk about that's not quite post. It's really part of the show, and I do want to talk about it. Ah. Um, first of all, uh, we've had some communications recently. Um, uh, some people might be confused and want to know how things sit, which they really don't. That's what we need to explain. Um, in particular, I know Fiddleback got a, a PM from a listener asking, hey, man, where can I buy T-shirts and stuff? <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's really no T-shirts to buy and stuff. Yeah, there's really no stuff. There was once upon a time for uh, maybe new listeners to the podcast where we did have uh, order, uh, D20 Radio shirts, um, but it was an ineffective venture that that was proved to be very po- impossible to manage. And so after the first run, we, we discontinued it. Now we have and will continue to make shirts and sell them for special events, i.e. Gen Con, maybe others. Obviously, we had a very successful t-shirt run for gen con this year yeah yes we did and um, i still have a couple of those by the way medium extra large but that's all i have really? but yeah i do have a couple would, would you be opposed to listeners contacting you if they wish to purchase them no one just did actually well how would you prefer they contact you if they would like to purchase uh, email one email email first come email first serve because i only have four shirts I have, okay i have two i have two extra larges one medium and one three x and the three x is now spoken for so yeah there we go. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is, um, well, maybe maybe this is post. I don't know, dude. So it's been a little while, um, and they're all cool with it. It's It's been a little while since any of our D20 radio partners have received uh, map tile updates from the illustrious Christopher West. Indeed. And there's a reason for this. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Mr. West has been working on hitherto new ground for himself in terms of a rocking map, which is pretty much finished at this point. It just has to be divvied up into appropriate tiles and have and put polish on. And he sent us a picture of aforementioned map. Good Lord. Uh, one you're, word, folks. You're going to love it. Yuzen Vong. Yes. So uh, 
uh, you know, it's it's coming soon, and you guys should probably get on the partner action. It's been a while, you know, since since the tiles have uh, have slowed while Chris has been working. We really haven't been pimping it, but um, I encourage you all to to become a D twenty radio partner. I mean, t- tell us about this, Dave. W- what is it, and how do you do it, and what do you get? Ah, uh, it's like six bucks a month, and yes, you get. Although some some, uh, it's kind of deviated to a couple of different purposes, right? So some of the members have chosen to communicate and say, you know, don't worry about the maps or anything. We're, we're not really role players. You know, we're here to throw five or six bucks into maintaining the Ventrilo server that we're all using for the guild. Yeah. We have a 200-slot Ventrilo server, and right now listener contributions are maintaining that on a, a monthly basis. So if we need to expand it, well, you know, we'll pick up a few more partners along the way. I'm sure of it. No big deal. But yeah, 200, 200 slots. We have about 200 people in the guild. Obviously, not everyone's going to be on at the same time. In fact, probably no more than 30% will be on the same time. So I don't really foresee a, a, an issue with it. But what what Ventrilo gives you, non-MMO player, is the ability to run games via what what would be Skype games over a more, what would Stable. you say, robust <laughs> network. That would be Ventrilo. So yes, anyone who's, anyone who's run a Skype game and has had more than six or seven people on, you you start to see where Skype's limitations come in. It's it's choppy, it's nasty, people drop all the time, and not so with Vent, not so. Yep. So you get to use the Ventrilo. You get Ventrilo access if you need it or if you want it, you know. And then uh, obviously you get you get added to an email list, and you get these maps from Crystal West. Whether you use them or not. Your choice. You can use them, reprint them, and usually, you know, we we came out and said you're going to get one full map, you know, as a every year as a part of this deal. Well, you know, last year everybody got three maps and a bonus one at the end of the year, just kind of because ex- West is just that awesome. That's right, because he's a Christmas present kind of guy. So, you know, that's some pretty hard value when you get, you know, when you get four full size poster maps for the equivalent of you know six bucks a month. So. Absolutely. You know that that's you know that pays for itself basically. Go to Gen Con and buy four maps is going to cost you sixty bucks at least. Yeah. So you know, yeah, exactly. Now these are PDFs, guys, not actual physical tiles. Yeah, they're they are PDFs. Yeah, so but you you print them. Dangerous. Yeah, you can print them, laminate them. Other we've we've seen guys to do it. So absolutely. You know. And the point the poor thing though is that as a partner you have the right to do so. You can print these. You can distribute them. You can do whatever. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, that's the deal. How, how can someone sign up to become a D20 Radio partner, Dave? At the homepage, d20radio.com. There's a support link, and you can sign up. Fantastic. Easy as that. Make sure and send me your forum name, though, on, on email so I can turn your uh, forum handle, you know, your name bar green. So What? Was... You mean our partners get a custom signature? On D20 Radio's forums? By golly, they do. Of course, they're recognized. Stand up and be recognized. Absolutely. You get yourself a green name because you are giving us green. By golly, Gene. That's why I chose green. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Gamer Nation. With that, thank you, thank you. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And I'll say keep them dice rolling. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. 
Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Post show. You asked me to remind you. Justin TV. By All golly. Right, so set, set the stage first, dude. Because All right. there's a, you know, the, a full 90% of our listeners have never been into Echo Base. So. Yes, indeed. There was a time when we had Sam and Chuck and Rodney on here regularly that we would have three, four hundred. I think we even tipped the scales near 500 once of people listening and watching the show live. On Ustream. On Ustream, yes. But Ustream, as you know, has become a dog, a beast of burden for many, and almost universally hated for I mean, what it does to you. It locks up, it boots people, it broadcasts commercials right over the, right over the feed. Um, I, can't even, I can't even see Dave in Ustream because of the fact that commercials randomly broadcast, and you would hear that over my mic, over my feed. So I don't even get the pleasure of seeing Dave's face. Right. So we're going to switch to Justin TV. I just actually opened my account with them and started kind of doing this thing where I can just like broadcast whenever I want to. Because that's one of the things about it, right? You, Justin TV is broadcast anywhere, anytime, anything you want. So we're going to try it out, I think, for the next show. If we can get enough lead time to do it. Mm. So, Yeah. That's what we're going to try and do. So obviously, we will be heavily posting up, similar to what we did for Echo Base when it first started, the new Echo Base, the, the link, where you go, how you get in. It'll be all over the forums. So head over to the forums. Uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a global sticky announcement when that change happens. You guys will know where to go, what to do, and how. Indeed. Yes, we will keep you guys well-informed, well in advance, and hopefully we'll be able to have something stable and, yeah, for you guys. Here. If not this one, definitely after the first of the year. Definitely, definitely. It's been on our radar for quite some time, so it's just a matter. Of just gonna gotta do it and get it. Do it, do it, do it, and get it done. Do it, do it, do it. Yep. Do it, do it. So there's this little thing happening on Tuesday, and uh, that is the first of the waves of the invites that are going out for early game access, or EGA as they call it, for <laughs> Star Wars The Old Republic, a game you can't play. <laughs> Yet. Yes. I'm, ha I'm having my new computer built as we speak. Ah, yes. Well, yeah, I cannot wait to get into this little game. It's going to be fun. And, um, well, yeah. All of you fellow Order of 66ers, 
rejoice. I, I really, I mean, I hope I get in on Tuesday. I don't know if I will because I, um, I was actually on business travel when the emails came out that said, "Hey, pre-order the game and and redeem your code." So I didn't get to, I didn't get to redeem my code for two days after those emails came out. So I'm sure that all those diehards that redeemed and did their code on day one probably are in day one of the beta. I mean, of the uh, of the early game access. The only thing I can hope for is that they let the longtime beta testers in. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people that got in beta weekend here and there, here and there. I've been beta testing this damn thing for I don't know six, eight months. I'm not maybe six months. Now that your NDA has expired, you can tell us that. Yeah. So um, I was I was in the second wave of beta testers when they first started this whole thing a long time ago. So okay, for our listeners, you know, maybe maybe you're you you ha- you haven't played the beta. You're thinking about wow, you know, this this MMO is 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 coming for Star Wars, and I'm a Star Wars junkie because obviously you're listening to us. Um, you know, I, I want to know more about it. Uh, first of all, we got to we got to pimp out the holocron, right? For those of our listeners who may not know about it. Indeed, we do. That is, uh, that would be the D twenty Radio's Star Wars: The Old Republic podcast, and that one is uh, Fiddleback and GM Phil. Yeah, yeah. the same GM Phil, uh, Darth GM, who does uh, Fragments from the Rim. By the way, indeed, they uh, they run that show and uh, do a fine job at it. Uh, that one also is kind of tied into, they do about half on the game and about half on the guild. The guild being the Order 66. The Order of 66, excuse me. So, wow. So you mean listeners of this show and network uh, members can join a guild of other listeners and network members? Yes, and that's what makes it a beautiful thing, dude. And then they all get to use Ventrilo, which our contributors are paying for out of the kindness and goodness of their heart. So that everyone else can enjoy a good conversation while they're playing in group together. It's really, if you guys have never used Ventrilo or played uh, an MMO, it brings an entirely different aspect to the game when you can talk to your party members and say, I'm going to heal, I'm going to do a group heal right now on me. You know, how long does it take to type that when you're in the heat of battle? Too long. Yeah, it, it's, you know, and you know, who's macros? Yeah, just use Vent, it's better. So okay, what if I'm on the fence and I'm really oh. thinking, you know, maybe I'm not, I'm not a guildy, you know, I'm like, like, okay, like me, okay. No macros in Star Wars, by the way. Oh, there's not. Wow. Okay, so that that is a big deal then. Um, so like, okay, when I when I used to wow it up or play or play City of Heroes, um, you know, or or you know, Age of Conan or whatever. I wasn't really a guildy because I didn't have the time to devote. And, you know, I just, uh, I only really like to game with people I know and stuff. Maybe I'm on the fence. Maybe I want to know more about the guild. Is there like a website I could go to to maybe see what's up with the guild and what it's about and what their focus is and all that? Well, of course, sir. You obviously can get to it from the D20 Radio homepage. Um, or. You can always go to the Order of Sixty Six, and I, don't, I forget which way we—if uh, it was the Order of Sixty Six dot net or the Order of Sixty Six dot com—I forgot now. Anyway, it winds up going to a uh, a Google a Google site, you know that uh, that Brian set up and maintains, and those guys are, uh, you know, those guys are doing something pretty special over there. So, um, 
It uh, is theorderof66.com. All spelled out except for 66, the number 66. So theorderof66.com. S-I-X, S-I-X? No, the number, the number 66, the actual oh, okay. number 66. So, theorderof66.com. Yep, yep. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, and that'll redirect you. That, that's easier than trying to figure out the whole, you know, google.com slash site slash the order of 66 slash home. Nah, don't worry about all that. <laughs> Everyone stuff. I know is so freaking excited. I'm like, ah, oh, it's, it's all good. Oh, dude. And, and I've been, I've been gaming it up on the table lately with, um, uh, the Lord of the Rings living card game, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know you guys suck me into that, dude. It's, that's that's crack, man, and it's just wetting my appetite for the Star Wars card game uh, next year when it comes out. Fantasy Flight. Um, we finally, um, Brev and I, uh, in our in our uh, duo plays, have finally um, finally gone through the entire Mirkwood cycle because um, the last the last uh, pack just came out for that. The last quest quest expansion, um, and it's it's an awfully awfully fun game. Um, it's got all the the deck building and strategery that a lot of people really like in Magic, but without all the stupid nonsense of a uh, an economy of cards and and he who has the most money wins and randomized pack BS, uh, it's it's just it's it's great. <laughs> yeah, that with a bag of chips. With a bag of chips. I mean, heck, we the three of us played what was it Friday? Uh, I believe it was. Um, and uh, we tried doing uh, Conflict of the Carrick, and we got spanked. <laughs> oh, did we ever? Those free controls ate our lunch. Yeah, they did. They did. And Xerox in Echo Base is a less magic bashing. I'm, I'm, I'm not so much. Ma- I'm not bashing the game as much as I'm practicing the fundamental economic principles the game is based on. Right. I'm not a fan of collectibles games. It's just. You know, when I, when I can drop a few hundred dollars on a card or a mini on eBay and and it's like an I win button, what's the point? Um, you know, it it, it it takes away from the abstract strategy of it all. That's that's my I win, know, I win, I win. That, that, that's kind of it. Plus, Meh. you know, being forced to buy random packs, whether they be booster packs of minis or packs of cards or whatever, and hoping and praying that maybe I get something as a cheap solution is just not worth it. Tum me. Uh, a lot of people really enjoy the collectible aspect. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun for them, but just just not me. I can't devote that much money to a game anymore. Um, yes, because the man, he have baby. The man, the man, the man like me, the man, he have baby. I have baby, and she, she suck at the money. She said, well, I guess a line from some, it was like actually a really crappy movie with like Ryan Reynolds in it. Um, think about babies. Uh, they're, they're like having, having a kid. It's, it's like having a little crack addict running around your home. A little, like a little drug addict. Yeah. They, you know, one minute they're laughing. The next they're, they're crying. <laughs> they sleep all the time. They're crapping in their pants. They take all your money. <laughs> That's how it goes. Oh, but I love my daughter. So... You know, there it is. There it is. <sighs> but yeah, man. Wax nostalgic. So, excited about that. Excited about the Star Wars card game coming out. Excited about the X-Wing TIE Fighter game coming out next year. Blah. Um, and, 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 if I still, man, I still got to talk to Reaper Brian about this, but I've been working with Brev and Bradshaw to plan 
um, uh, the new D20 radio event at ReaperCon this year uh, in uh, um, May of 2012. Ah, uh, yes. You, you, want, you want me to wet your, whipple, your, your, wet your whistle, your appetite with it? I think Brev already did. Okay, well, maybe I can wet the Gamer Nation's appetite with All it. All right. Um, if you guys, you know, we've, we've, well, we've broadcasted live from ReaperCon, what, twice now? Yes, sir. And we've pimped out the convention heavily. You know, it's a small con, you know, like average of about 100 people maybe here in Denton, Texas. It's like family. It's like home. Um, there, but because there's such a large D20 radio presence here in DFW and, of course, Order 66, we have a lot of Star Wars play that goes on. A lot. If you're a listener to this podcast and you're free in May, travel. Come down, man. It is a blast. Um, we had a couple random Gamer Nation members travel. I know I met Rikoshi for the first time uh, this past year. And uh, you know he he was like I'm coming back next year. There's just no other way. It's 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 an amazing con. It's so much fun. This is an event we're planning that you are going to want to travel for. Star Wars Saga Edition Bounty Hunt. Imagine getting a set of character creation guidelines, creating the ultimate character or party of characters with your friends, showing up, and seeing a board of imperial bounties. You choose the bounty, one encounter, meet the objectives, and survive. Get your man, and you will be rewarded. Yep. Ideally, with Reaper Bucks, which is the currency that is used at the convention for the Sunday auction, uh, where they auction off intense amounts of swag. Right. Um, You know, we'll have incredibly, incredibly hard bounties. We'll have some easier bounties. But obviously, it's just a raw bounty. So if you're able to complete uh, a difficult bounty with less people, you guys split the reward more evenly and you get more out of it. You know, stuff like that. But, oh, yeah, man. We, we, it, is, it, is, it is in full force, man. And it is going to be epic. Uh, and speaking of epic, are you running the other epic campaign? Yeah, man. Uh I don't know what I'm going to do yet. So maybe the Gamer Nation can weigh in on this for me. So my my uh, over the past three years, um, my pattern at ReaperCon has been I'll run a whole crap ton of Star Wars, and then I'll have one session of a random RPG that I haven't gotten to play yet or I've only gotten to play briefly or that I really like and is kitschy and fun and that not many people have played and I want to expose them to it. So two years ago, it was uh, Spirit of the Century, okay? Last year, you played in it, and it was... Og. Og, all right. Um, I've got a couple RPGs uh, on the shelf that I would love to do a one-off session for, absolutely love. Uh, Dresden, Mouse Guard. Um, I-, I have, though, the one that's currently at the top of my list in terms of kitsch and fun is Dogs, D-A-W-G-S. It's like a five dollar pdf download from rpg drive through uh drive through rpg um where literally your 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 player characters are dogs like neighborhood dogs like nice. fighting the mailman and nice <laughs> um and it seemed like too kitschy not to run uh, a few of the things i've been thinking about hell for leather uh terra primate um a few other really oddball uh, uh rpg ideas but I'm really thinking about not doing that this year and just doing some solid, solid Star Wars play. Um, having like an entire day devoted to doing nothing but the Star Wars bounties. And then maybe it's like, like a Saturday if, if ReaperCon will let me. 
and then Thursday, Friday, and Sunday devoted to doing, you know, the Secret of the Krillian Kite Hawk series uh, that I've done. And, of course, the big epic at Gen Con this year, the, the, the three, three-team Black Nova Gambit. My concern is for such, such a small con, I have a really hard time thinking we're going to fill three tables for one go. Um, yeah, I know. And so I'm working with the guys to try and find a way to alter that scenario somewhat so that it would be just two teams. So I, I, th- I think we could fill 12 easily. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. But I'm tempted just whether to do just all straight Star Wars or whether to, to, to pop in there with my one session of something unusual and kitschy and a, a weird role-playing experience. I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the Gamer Nation will weigh in and give me their emails on that point. I don't know. What do you think, man? What do you think I should do? I think you should not run as much. Really? Yeah, because you never get to enjoy the con for itself. Well, I always get time, and I love running. <laughs> That's what I enjoy about cons. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there the whole time, and I don't think I'm going to play anything. I'm just going to paint all my mice. See, that's the thing about ReaperCon. If you're a painter, man, I mean, it's like, I mean, there, there's, there's classes that they have. They have, for, like, the, like, the masters, like, the world's greatest painters and designers come out to this con just to teach. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, no, nah, I'm with you there, man. I'm with yeah. you. Yep. So. I don't know, man. I'm kind of liking this episode title that came through, except I'm going to alter it a little bit. Been through the galaxy in a ship with no name. Been through the galaxy on a ship with no name. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's all I got. And huh. it's getting late. I don't have much more. Uh, but rest assured, next post show, I will have a bombshell for you guys. Boom, boom, boom. boom. Yeah. I mean, not really. It's more of a personal thing. But still, you know, it's big news. Yeah, it's big news. It's good stuff. Yes. Oh. All right, Gamer Nation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, Gamer Nation. And, of course, good luck.